Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. If we haven't met yet online, in person, um, my name is Dan. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the church. So glad to be with you guys. I got one more thing for you. I talked to Josh Walker this week. If you don't know Josh Walker, no big deal. Um, But if you do, um, he's been away for a little bit. And I got to talk to him over text message this week, which is really fun. He's doing really well. Um, And uh, we've got some cards uh, and envelopes back there for Josh, right by the sign-up, on the sign-up kind of ledge. I don't know what to call it. I'm going to call it the sign-up ledge because it's not really a table. Um, Right over there, there's some cards. If you want to write him a note, if you know him, he would love to get a card from you. Um, So go ahead and write him a card. His address is right there. Take that um, with you and then send it when you can. So, um, And keep him in your prayers. Keep praying for him. Well, uh, this week we are continuing in our series called Soul Keeping. Um, and, And this series is all about how do we keep our soul safe. And today is about how do we keep it centered. When everyone else, when everything else, when we turn on the TV, when we open our phones and tablets and computers, everyone seems to be wanting a piece of our soul, right? How do we keep it centered in where it belongs, which is, spoiler alert, in God and in Jesus um, so this week we are uh, talking about how the soul needs a center. And this, I, I want to recommend these again. These are two books that Liz and I are using heavily for this sermon series. Uh, Renovations of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Uh, soul Keeping by John Ortberg. So if you want to dive more deeply into this stuff, those are two of the resources that we're using. Um, that, that's where I would start if I were you. Well, you guys, it's kind of been out of the news for a while, but it's still happening. You guys probably remember, you turn on the nightly news and you, and you see there's these sinkholes happening in Florida and like other places in the south, right? Like, like the whole like ground just opens up out of nowhere and it swallows a house. You guys remember this on the news? I've got a news clip I'm going to play for you just to refresh your memory. Go ahead and hit it. Exactly what's happened in the last two weeks, more than 30 sinkholes in Central Florida. Makes me real uncomfortable even close to my house. They've got a lot of work to do to fix this up. In some cases, sending a warning signal of what's to come. Why is this state so prone to sinkholes? Florida's sandy soil sits on top of a layer of clay and a layer of limestone. The recent heavy rains dissolved those underground layers, causing the earth to give way. There were other warning signs, too, but the residents who live along the golf course here at the Villages didn't know how to read them. In a matter of moments, without warning, the lake here went dry. Geologists say it was the clearest indication of what was to come. In the Villages, where two houses are now condemned, that small divot in front of the Flegler's home leading to the same question every morning this week. How's the hole? Was it any bigger? You know, so not needless to say, it's always in the back of your mind because you're not really given much of a warning by Mother Nature, are you? No, we're not. Here in what's called Sinkhole Alley, the fear tonight is more surprises like this. In the last 24 hours, six new gaping holes have opened up here in Ocala. With a storm brewing in the tropics, that means more rain will drench this area, meaning that these holes may get larger and new ones could develop. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for checking out so, our YouTube channel. Sinkhole. Subscribe no, can you by imagine? clicking on that button. 
being in your bedroom or something, in your living room, just falls in a hole or something. I mean, that, that is crazy. There's an author and pastor, um, Gordon McDonald, and he wrote about what he calls the sinkhole syndrome for our souls. And it may be triggered by a, a failure at work or a severed relationship or, you know, maybe harsh criticism from a boss or a parent or a loved one. Or maybe it just seems like it's no apparent reason at all. But it feels like the earth has given way to our souls. The earth has given way to our lives and we just fall in this hole. McDonald went on to write that we have this outer world. We've got a career. We've got a family, possessions, friendships, all of that stuff. And then we've got the inner world. And that's more spiritual in nature. Um, That's where, you know, our values are selected. That's where uh, maybe we get to practice um, inner formation. That's where we practice patience and humility. That's where worship happens. That's our inner world. Because our outer worlds are so visible, so measurable, we tend to focus on those first. And they're easier to deal with. They demand our attention, right? But the result is that our inner world is often cheated. It's neglected. Because it doesn't shout so loudly. So it gets ignored for the outer world, and we focus on those things. And over time, that, that foundation that our soul rests on kind of erodes away, just like we saw in that news clip, and then it just gives way. It takes one little event, or maybe a big event, or nothing at all, and, and we have a sinkhole-like cave-in. Uh, James, if you want to turn there with me, James 1, 5. Um, what? Oh, <laughs> I see. I got it. Okay, James is in the front row, and I kind of like said James. All right. Um, so, so if you want to turn there with me in the New Testament book of James, um, James 1, 5, uh, it says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. So James uses this word to describe uh, this condition. And it's often translated double-minded. You'll see that in a lot of your translations. The translation NLT that I'm using here says divided loyalty. Uh, But the Greek word is dipsukos. And dipsukos means, the the first word dip is two. And the second word sukos is soul. So two-souled. That's what it literally means. Double-souled, split-souled. It's an uncentered soul. So I want to give you a few indicators of what an uncentered soul might look like. I've got three of them for you. A soul without a center lacks patience. In the book of Numbers, when people grew impatient with God's long journey through the wilderness, even though God was providing them step after step, they provided them water out of nowhere, food out of nowhere, daily sustenance, It says that their souls grew short. They had short souls in the wilderness. On the other hand, a good example 
of a long-souled person is Job. You know the story of Job. He was, he was, everything was taken from him, including his family, his property, his health, everything. Yet he had a long soul and continued to be centered in God. I, uh, I have a, a very short soul when it comes to the McDonald's drive through So this is how short it is. Let me, let me expand on how short my soul is. When I get within seeing distance of the McDonald's, I'm trying to pick which way I'm going to get through McDonald's the fastest. So the other day, I went there for a Coke. I knew exactly what I wanted, just a Coke. And, um, and I get there, and the first thing I look for is the drive through lines. If they're short, I'm going drive through Now, if the drive through lines are super long, then I've got two other options. I can go inside. That's kind of risky because you never know. Sometimes they kind of like preference the drive through people. But, or the other option is to go order on the app, and then you get curbside pickup, right? So those are my options that I'm like weighing. So I get to McDonald's this time and thankfully no line in the drive-through at all. Actually, there's one guy. There's one guy on the inside lane and I come up to the outside lane. You know what I'm talking about? There's two lanes there. So I come out to the outside lane. He's already ordering on the inside lane there. I say, uh, Coke light ice, please. And before the lady can even be like, all right, your total is 110 and pull around to the second window or whatever, I've got to make sure, I can see that he's wrapping up his order, and I've got to make sure that I get in the line in front of him. So before she can even finish that sentence of pull around to the next window, I'm like stepping on the gas a little bit harder than I should in a drive through line to get around in front of him, and I did it! And I saved myself at least 30 seconds. And I was so proud of myself. And then, it's this week, so I'm preparing the sermon, I'm like, what? What was the point of that? What was the point of being so caught up in my 30 seconds of beating this guy, of finding the, the shortest line? I think that's an example, a very basic example of an impatient soul. In that moment, my soul was nowhere near centered in God. If you're constantly impatient like that, that might be a sign that you have an impatient soul, that your soul isn't centered. Second one I've got for you is the soul without a center is easily thrown. Now, have you guys ever seen a mechanical bull or ridden on a mechanical bull? If you have, let me know in the comments how, how many seconds you made it, if you have. H- has anyone ridden on a mechanical bull or a real bull? Any real bulls out there? No? Okay, I thought I'd try. Um, so I, I was a part of this, like, it, we called it Spring Fest. It was like a community event, and we brought in a mechanical bull, and I was a, it was for a church, and I was a pastor at the church, and so I was walking around just meeting people and stuff, and I noticed that no one was riding the mechanical bull at one point. So I'm like, oh, I think we're over there and, and see what's going on. And so I went over there, and people were like, oh, Dan, go ride the bull, ride the bull, there's no line. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I will ride the bull. I'll show you guys how it's done. So I step up in there, and there's lots of people waiting to watch somebody. No one wanted to do it, but they were just wanting to watch somebody. It. So I get up on the bull, and I've watched enough bull riding uh, to know how to do this thing, right? Um, so I stick my hand like under the under the strap on the bull, you know. And you know what the bull riders always do? They do this thing, right? They like pound their knuckles down on the rope. I don't know why, but I did it because I'm cool. And it was in that moment, as I was pounding my knuckles down on this rope, that I realized that no one watches 
the bull rider to see them succeed. Like you want to see the person on the mechanical bull fail, like be thrown over the head of the bull, their feet go flying and everybody cheers and laughs and everybody's nice and everything. But if you make it the whole time, everybody's kind of like, oh, okay, that's fun. But when you like fly off and you do some acrobatics in the air that were unintentional, people are like, yeah, that was awesome, right? So I say, you know what? I'm not going to give these people the satisfaction. So I pounded even harder on my knuckles. I squeezed that bull with my legs as hard as I could. I was like trying to find like footholds in the, in the bull somehow. I don't know. I was not going to get thrown off. He puts the, the mechanical bull rider, he puts the bull up a couple notches, and I'm riding it. I'm like, yeah, I'm riding I got to like maybe three seconds. And then he turned it up to like, I don't know, three or four. I don't know what they are. But it just threw me, exactly what the folks wanted. It just threw me right over the head. I did this like weird flip, and my side kind of hit the head of the bull. And everybody cheered and laughed, and I was like, oh, man, all right, they got what they wanted. That, that is, uh, I found out later that bull riding, um, the key is to be centered on the bull. You have to be centered. And so when I was squeezing the bull with my legs as hard as I could, that doesn't keep you centered. You're not able to shift and move as the bull moves. And so what I found out later is that you've got to be loose and, and ready to go. And if our soul is not centered in Christ, when turbulence comes, when life shifts a little bit, we're going to be thrown. When the unexpected happens, when life gets complicated, maybe my friend betrays me, I can't sleep, I don't get that promotion, my marriage isn't all that I think health becomes uncertain. My soul is going to get thrown. If your soul lacks a center, when life comes at you fast, you'll be thrown off the bull. No matter how hard you try to hold on, no matter how hard you squeeze life, eventually you're going to get thrown if your soul isn't centered in Jesus. The soul, this is my third one, the soul without a center finds its identity in external things. My temptation when my soul isn't centered in God is to try to control my own life. In the Bible, this is, taught, uh, this is spoken in terms of lifting up our soul. Lifting up one's soul to something other than God. The prophet Habakkuk said that the opposite of living in faithful dependence on God is to lift your soul up in pride. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, 4, that a person who can live in God's presence is the one who has not lifted up their soul to an idol. When the soul is not centered in God, I define my life by my accomplishments, maybe my physical appearance, my title, my friends, my job. And when I lose these, I lose my identity. Friends, a soul without a center is like a house built on a sinkhole. It's just not going to be sustainable. On the other hand, the soul comes alive when it is centered on God. Psalms 143.8 says, Let the morning bring me your word of unfailing love, for to you I lift up my soul. When we reach out to God, we are lifting our souls up to be nurtured and healed. A soul centered in God always knows that its heavenly Father will hold its pain and hold our anxiety and our fears. And God holds those things and brings us through those things. 
This is spiritual life, to place the soul each moment in the presence and care of God. Psalm 63.8 says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's much harder than it sounds to keep our souls centered on God. But staying centered on God is the essence of life for the soul. Our soul doesn't have much life if it's not centered on God. Uh, A man named Thomas Kelly wrote in Testament of Devotion, We feel honestly the pull of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. And we're unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful. We shall be shallow. We have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all this hurried existence, a life of unhurried serenity and peace and power, if we could just slip over into that center. So the natural temptation here is to think that peace and serenity and centeredness and satisfying our souls will come from our circumstances. That's the temptation. If only I got this promotion, if only I found the right spouse, if only I had better friends, maybe I just had a little bit more money, maybe if I just had a a fourth bedroom in my house, maybe if I was just a part of the right church, then my soul would be satisfied. But all of those things are external. And it's only when our souls are centered with God that we will be given that vastly rich and deeper existence that Thomas Kelly talks about. Psalm 42.2 My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go meet with God? That's what our soul longs for, is meeting with God, is the presence and care of God. Brother Lawrence, he called this practicing the presence of God. He wrote a whole book about it. Well, there are more like letters. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But as we begin to live with centered souls, practicing the presence of God, I find how little the world has power, how little power the world has over my soul. So when my soul is centered and, and my boss doesn't like me or I have a fight with my family or I have financial problems or I have a bad hair day or when my kids will just not listen, These can cause disappointments, yes, but they don't have any power over my soul when it's centered in God. They can't nudge my soul from the center. And when you think about it that way, you realize that the external circumstances cannot keep you from being with God. If anything, they cause us to lean more heavily on God. They cause us to lean into what God's presence does for us and its care and its safety, and we lean into him And then we grow as a a result of that. Friends, the soul needs to be with God. If you read through the Bible, you get the sense that uh, there's kind of this, that the soul was designed for God, to be with God. The Psalms, they're kind of obsessed with this idea. You read it over and over and over about how the soul longs for God. You can see our our soul thirsts for God in Psalm 63.1. Psalm 103 Our soul blesses the Lord. Psalm 63, our soul clings to God. Psalm 62, our soul waits for the Lord in silence. 
The soul yearns to be with God because it is desperate to be whole. The soul is God-smitten and God-crazy and God-obsessed. My mind, it might be obsessed with idols or things or that the Bears drafted an awesome quarterback this year and I'm really excited. Um, My mind's been obsessed with that this week. Like, yeah, the Bears are going to be good. And my soul will get let down, I bet. But my soul, it will never find rest until it rests in God. I have this problem with my clothes, specifically shirts. I go to a department store or wherever, I buy a shirt, and it fits like almost perfectly, probably perfectly there. And then it takes a couple of washes, and what does it do? It shrinks. I have weirdly long arms and I have a kind of uh, a long torso. And so these, sh- these shirts, they become like belly shirts for me. And I'm like, oh, come on. So I'm always like, Liz, don't dry this shirt. We got to hang dry this one. And then, of course, I'm the one that forgets to hang dry it. I put it in the dryer and shrink it. But there was this guy, he was buying a shirt. And the label said, shrink resistant. And so he went over to the clerk and he's like, hey, what is this? I've never seen this label before. What, what does this shrink resistant mean? And the lady uh, behind the counter said, oh, that means that the shirt doesn't want to shrink, but it'll still shrink. (laughs) My soul, our souls, they don't want to shrink. But unless they find their center in God, unless they find their home in God, our souls will shrink. Your soul must find its center in God. In 1632, a man named Nicholas Herman, he he was an uneducated uh, kid, kind of lived in the country. He was a boy of two servant parents. They weren't wealthy at all, very poor. Um, He was was just looking at a tree, um, Nicholas, and uh, he decided, based on that tree, based on creation, that God was real. And that if God cares for that tree, then he also wants to be a part of God's kingdom and be cared for like God cares for that tree. And so that was the moment he decided to put his faith in God. And he he got all all the things that he could. He would talk to people. he, um, He would talk to people and learn about God and who he was. And then eventually he started growing in his spirituality. And he decided, man, I want to join a monastery. And so he went there. And the monastery said, hey, you know what? We only have room for a dishwasher. That's, that's all we got for you. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll be a dishwasher. And so he was. He, he entered this community and he spent his life in the kitchen as a cook and as a dishwasher. And all the while, he privately devoted his life to being with God, to, to having the presence of God in his life in every moment. Today, we know him as Brother Lawrence. And he wrote one of the most widely read Christian books, the practice, and the, presence, uh, the practice of the presence of God. And this book is everywhere. When the soul is with God, it doesn't matter if you're a dishwasher or CEO, the soul thrives, not through our accomplishments, but simply being with him, practicing his presence. So how do we discover this with God life? I'll tell you, there's no magic formula 
There's, uh, there's no way that I can tell you, do these 10 things, and then you will, be, uh, you will have your soul satisfied. That's called religion, and we try and find God through religion sometimes. What I love about our church is that we hold this, we hold this uh, tension between religion and spirituality. And we are deeply spiritual people, and we have religious practices. We're doing them right now. We're at church. This is a religious practice, and it, began, and it can become just a, a rote thing we do because we're supposed to. But when we actually enter the presence of God, when we invite God's presence here with us, we discover this with God life. We can take as many moments of my day, and I can fill it with the consciousness and awareness of our surrender to God's presence. Sure, we can do our 15-minute devotions every day and, and pray for 15 minutes every day, and those are great things. If you do them, keep doing them. But if it becomes an empty practice that we're just doing to do, it means almost nothing. And I think there's something more powerful and longer lasting than that when we maybe have those devotions devotions, and then continue to practice the presence of God. So maybe next time when I go to McDonald's, I'll tell you, I'll commit to this. When I go to McDonald's next time, I'm going to pick the longest drive through line. And I'm going to sit there and I'll be patient and I'll say, God, I want to invite your presence here. What are you doing in my day today? And, and where are you working? Where can I work with you? And I can have this idea that God is with me. He is Emmanuel, the with us God. Sometimes the grocery store, the McDonald's drive through they can become a cathedral for us, a place of worship, a place of meeting God. Every day is a collection of moments. And how many of them can we live with God? We can start there. We can grow there. God wants to be with us every moment. Psalm 16 says that I have set the Lord always before me. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says that we take captive every thought to make them obedient to Christ. They speak to the need of our souls to be completely and thoroughly with God. But you'll see in both of these verses that it's not just this passive thing where we sit back and just let God's presence come. We have to set it, as Paul says, or take it, cap- or take it captive, as Paul says, set it, as the psalmist says. Set our souls before him. They're active verbs, implying that we have a role in determining where our soul rests. In the beginning, when God created the world, he planted a garden, right? He planted Eden, this beautiful garden, sustaining his people. And God made all kinds of trees, and they bore beautiful fruit, tasty fruit, I'm sure. Put fish in the streams and birds in the sky. Eden was this perfect home for Adam and Eve. And that garden, it represents God being with us. Because what did God do? Every day he came and walked with his, with his creation. Uh, Genesis 3.8 says, uh, that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The point of this text is that walking is something you do with someone you care about. It's not about walking itself. I'm not sure if God was walking through the garden and just admiring his creation, maybe. But the reason he was there was to be with his people. 
with his most prized creation. Think about that. Like God created the stars, like all the galaxies. Like I'll be scrolling, you know, Facebook or something, and I'll see this beautiful picture of these galaxies or these gas clouds, just beautiful things that are like millions of times bigger than the earth. And then it occurs to me that like God created that, yet us broken human people are his prized creation. Isn't that amazing? We are God's prized creation. He wants to be with us. Our souls are made to walk with God. But the man and the woman sin, and they're hiding from God. They go against what God says, and so they hide from him. Yet God goes after them. He pursues them. And if you read the whole narrative of the Bible, this is the Bible. This is the whole narrative where God is chasing, where he's pursuing his most prized creation, going after them, relentlessly pursuing us. And all God has ever wanted is to be with you and with me. And so if you're here and you can't remember a time when you've said, you know what, Jesus, I want to be with you too. God, I want your presence in my life. There will never be a better day than today to say yes to Jesus, to say, yes, I want to be with you. And so it's as simple as saying something like a prayer. It can be a one-line prayer of saying, Jesus, I want your presence. I want to be with you. We all started somewhere like that, with a prayer like that. And if you pray a prayer like that, I would love for you to come talk to me. I'd love to say uh, tell you what's, what your next steps are, what it fully means to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you have questions about that. I would love to talk to you about it. If you're online, uh, you can go to lifemohammed.org slash connect. And if you've got questions, put them there. I'll, I'll get back to you. And if you say that prayer, I would love for you to tell me. Let me know. I'd love to be praying for you by name this week. And if, you're, if you've said yes to Jesus, I, I think most of you in this room have, um, I think sometimes our souls can, uh, can find imbalance, can start to focus on other things. And you can say a, a similar prayer, the same prayer that says, Jesus, I want to be centered in you again. I want to come back to you and be centered in your presence. Say that prayer today. Same thing. If you say that prayer, let me know. I'd love to be praying for you this week. It's a prayer that we can all pray to be centered in Christ. And the way that we get that, the way that we get to be centered in Christ is through his death and resurrection. And so today we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that God died for us um, and then conquered death with and for us. And we do that through communion. Um, if you weren't able to get a communion cup, Dan's going to pass them out. So if you didn't get one, just raise your hand. Dan will pass them out. Um, worship band, you guys can come up while we start communion here. Um, but here's... Uh, here's, the, here's some verses that describe what happened in the first communion and why we take communion. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And when he broke it into pieces, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread and take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. 
Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So let's take the, the cup and drink. Jesus, thank you that you are a God that pursues us, that you are the with us God, Emmanuel. And that you, it's not entirely up to us to center our souls, but you're a part of that just as much as we are. And so we ask for those of us that have uncentered souls that you would bring us back to yourself. We offer our souls to you. We want them to be centered on you and the things of you instead of all these external things. So Jesus, we ask you to come. Holy Spirit, come. Be in this place as we worship. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.